at all of our locations, online, Jasper County Jail, Hebron, DeMont Wheatfield, welcome. I love that song, The Goodness of God. It's played a special role in my life for a number of years. And I'm not a big music guy, but as we sing that song, um, it has been a faith strengthener for me and a reminder of where God has brought us from. And obviously, uh, God has been good to me. I have a good life, the life of my dreams, in fact. If you would have told me at 15 or at 25 that this is where I'd be at 37, I would have wept tears of joy. God's been good, so good, so faithful. But what do you do, what do, you do when God doesn't feel very faithful and doesn't feel very good? I know there are some of you right now, Hebron, online, at the jail, DeMont Wheatfield, some of you guys, You've been honoring God's plan for your life. You've been doing the best you can and things are not going well. What do you do when you trust God's word? When you live the life that God calls you to live and he hadn't showed up yet? What do you do when you've trusted God with the next things in your life, but he has not led you to the best things yet? You're in between. Sometimes we hate that in-between spot. That's a tough place to be, in between trusting God with our life and receiving God's blessing in our life. The line that sticks out in that song to me the most is, all my life, you have been faithful. There have been times where I've wondered about that all part. Sometimes you wonder where God is. As a child, I remember being very ill and sick in and out of hospitals. I wondered where God was. I remember one particular breakup in life after a very long relationship, wondering where God was. In sixth grade, my youth pastor was killed after a plane crash. He burned to death, shouting, Jesus save me, Jesus save me. He died, and in the moment, as we learned about the details of his accident, we wondered, where where was God? Why did God let that happen? I just wonder if there's anyone here today, as we sing, all my life, you've been so, so good. Sometimes you feel like God hasn't been good, and we're preparing our hearts for Christmas Eve, and it feels like we're in between. We're in between goodness and, and doing the right thing. And we've done the right things in life, but we haven't seen the right things in life. And we've given God the next things in life, but we haven't experienced the best things in life. And as we do this last part of our Christmas series, preparing our hearts for Christmas Eve, I wanna talk about that in-between time. I wanna talk about finding peace in your heart when you're in between giving God the next things and experiencing the best things. The first time I heard that song, it was during the pandemic. Some of you may remember it three years ago now. It's crazy how time flies. And our church had just finished a sermon series called Relentless. Ironically, the tagline of Relentless was, we never stop, right? We're never gonna stop. Years ago, I'd been praying with my wife and I really felt like God was leading us to put a church in Hebron, in the Hebron location. And, you know, all my life, I've been skeptical of miracles in the supernatural. I hear people like throw around like the voice of God and all these things, and people are quick to do these things. Um, you know, as I've gotten older, I've begun to realize that, hey, God's word talks about this. It doesn't specifically tell us that wonder cease. We've seen some things where it's like, well, maybe there is some of this stuff. And it's interesting to realize what percentage of people have had an encounter with the supernatural. You know, even atheists will say, you know, I've had this encounter, whatever. Many people have seen the demonic. Um, many people have seen, you know, the, the heavenly. Um, and for many, it's a faith-building experience. But in the long term, I think we have a tendency to explain this stuff away, for sure. You know, at, at the start, we say, I'm never 
gonna doubt again, ever. Like, I'm a, I'll never doubt again because I had this experience. And then five years later, it's like, who knows what it was? A few times in my life, I've heard the voice of God or had someone give me a word from God. And I've realized you have to be careful because I believe that God's word is infallible and inerrant, but our interpretation of God's word is fallible and very errant sometimes. My wife had a number of men tell her that God was calling them to get married. And that was definitely demonic. Okay, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, praise God. She didn't listen to that garbage right there. She's meant for me. I've had people tell me that God had given them a word, you know, for me and whatever, and it clearly was not God's word. So it's a nuanced thing and, and whatever. But five to six years ago, um, I believe that God called us to Hebron as a church in what I would call a supernatural way. And uh, my wife and I were praying together, which we do all the time because, you know, pastor, whatever, we actually don't. But um, we try to, we want to. And in this particular moment, we were. And my wife, in her mind's eye, saw this very clear vision about our future as a church. We were praying about where to put a second church. And some of you might wonder, doing multiple locations is a cheaper, more efficient way to do church. And as you scale up, it becomes much more efficient because a projector, though it might be very expensive, costs much less than a pastor. <laughs> so just repla replacing pastors with robots, fantastic. Although recently I've learned that projectors cost way more than I thought they did. Anyway, I was convinced that we were gonna put a second location in Rensselaer. And I pray that God gives us a third, fourth, fifth, sixth location. You know, I wanna roar at the gospel. I want to swing as hard as I can all my life. I want us as a church to do that. But based on demographics, I really thought Rensselaer is the place to go. Maybe St. Joe's, now vacant campus. I mean, so many things I thought. But as my wife prayed, she said, John, I really feel like we're supposed to go to Hebron as I was praying. I just felt like in my mind's eye, I saw a picture of a green sign, you know, one of them green road signs with white writing. It says Hebron. And honestly, both of us did not know where Hebron was. I said, honey, did you mean Hobart? She goes, no, Hebron. And we, had, we still relatively knew the area. I have no idea how to get anywhere. I was like, I have not heard of Hebron. There's Hobart, but not Hebron. And we looked it up and both of us were like, oh my goodness, it's just like the town right north of Damod. Holy smokes, that's kind of cool. And then we read more about it. It has one of the lowest levels of church engagement of any small town in the region. So I said, you know what? Let's ask some friends to pray about this, you know, who, who love prayer and whatever. And I did not tell them what we had heard or seen. I just say, would you just pray about, you know, another location, whatever. One friend came back to me and she said, hey, I, I was praying and I just, I saw Kristen walking north, leading an army of Christians north on 231. And I know, pastor, you want to go south. I know that's where you want to go. Um, but I just, that's, I prayed and that's what I feel God is calling us to. I thought, wow, that's crazy. The next person, I didn't tell her what had happened. I didn't tell her what transpired. I just said, you know, I want to go to Rensselaer or whatever. Would you just pray? Would you ask God like to confirm that or whatever? And um, she comes back to me and this particular person gets blotchy when she gets nervous. You know how people do that? Like they get blotchy, they get big red blotches. I won't say who it is, but it's Aaliyah. And um, <laughs> she comes to me and I can tell she's nervous. She's all, you know, blotchy. And she says, pastor, I know you want to go to Rensselaer, but as I prayed, I really believe that God is calling our church to Hebron, which I was like, wow, this is crazy, right? This is whatever. And all of them told me um, in different ways, like it, it, he's calling us to Hebron in 2020, in the year 2020. This was years before that. And they all said this and, you know, I didn't talk to them about it. And I thought, wow, that's, that's cool. You know, and again, I, I just, I stored that up in my heart and I thought God was good and he's faithful. And right around that time, there was a grocery store in Hebron that went out of business. And I knew that that building would be perfect for a church. It's called Pates' Grocery Store. I thought, man, it'd be really cool. We started praying and whatever. And I trusted God. And lined up with his word and his nature and his character. And I said, worst case scenario, it was the chili sauce that I ate and, and they all ate and we all ate the same chili sauce and we're gonna have a church in Hebron. That's not bad, right? 
And I didn't share it with anyone besides them. I didn't, I didn't tell anybody in our church about what had transpired for years. Because I just think it'd be, it wouldn't be fair. I've done this before in my life, like God said, and it just, it's not good. I just thought, you know what, God, I trust you. You'll build people's hearts around this, you know, and, and I'm just going to pray that it's, that's happened and I'm going to store up these moments in my heart. And so we started the Relentless series. Many of you remember it. We raised $3.2 million above and beyond regular giving, which ended up being exactly what that building would cost. And God knew, you know, we thought it was going to be less. We thought we raised more than enough, but God gave us exactly enough, which is good. For 72 nights in a row, we hosted meetings, um, or I went to life groups, which is a lot of nights in a row. It's very busy. And we personally hosted over 300 people in our house uh, in 14 different gatherings to talk about Hebron during that time. I visited every life group, like I said, and God was good. And we purchased the building, we got the permits, and we started construction in January of 2020. I said, nothing can stop us, relentless. We never stop. We're never gonna stop. This is perfect. March 13th, 2020. Friday, the 13th, I hosted the leaders of the Relentless Campaign Committee, all the men that helped me raise money for the building. I hosted them at my house for dinner, right? March 13th, Friday the 13th. And we're sitting there and for the first time, we're celebrating God's faithfulness. And I, you know, we were celebrating, you know, construction really commencing. And for the first time, I share with them all the vision stuff. You know, the road sign and the blotches and all the things, right? And it's like, wow, you know, and all the guys were like, wow, you held those cards so close. I was like, I did. I, you know, I wanted us to do it together, whatever. Isn't it cool? Like nothing can stop us now. And three days later, everything shut down. Sweet. And uh, the song, all my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. And it didn't feel that way. And I was like, God, are you faithful? Do you really speak? Were those visions even real? Like, what is wrong? And if you remember that time, I was rallying our church to pray. I was calling us to faith. Remember all those videos? I was posting updates as though I'm some expert on pandemics. Like, I'm posting these videos, waking up at night with panic attacks. Like, literally waking up, drenched in sweat, like, hyperventilating. You ever woken from a sleep, hyperventilating? That was me. I felt so dumb. I felt so insecure. I wondered where God was. I saw everything I worked to build in my life coming crumbling down around me. What have I done? I called an old mentor, one of my close friends here, and uh, he was not in a good way spiritually at that time. And um, he told me, you made a huge mistake. You need to shut the project down. You're ruining the church. It's over. Everything is terrible. And I sat down in my office and I had a panic attack. It was pretty cool. Love those. Have you ever thought you heard God's voice? You know, lined up with God's word, God's nature, and God's character. You acted radically on it. You trusted God with your next things. You honored him. And then you looked like a fool. Or maybe you've honored God your whole life. You've always tried to do the right thing. Trusting God with your next things at every juncture. And here we are preparing our hearts for Christmas Eve and all these messages and all these things. And your life is just in a bad place. And we sing, all my life, you've been faithful. And God doesn't feel very faithful. And all my life, you've been so, so good. And it doesn't feel good. Last week, we talked about how God works through interruptions. How most of Jesus's life was an interruption of Jesus and his disciples' next thing. And I said, when you trust God with your next thing, he will lead you to the best things. And it's like, guys, I'm in between right now, some of you. And you're like, pastor, I've given God my next things and he is delinquent. He is late on the best things. And we're preparing our hearts for Christmas Eve and I'm so excited. It's a big holiday. 
You know, it's the beginning of Christ's suffering, the beginning of the passion of Christ as he left the splendor of heaven to come to the squalor of earth. We remember that, it's a huge deal. And everyone seems to feel good joy to the world. And you're sitting here thinking, I don't feel good. I don't feel like Christmas. You're in between. You're waiting for God to come through, wondering if he will. And that, what I just described, is the heart of the Christmas story. I mean, we don't even realize it because this story has become so kitsch and so cliche to us. I mean, we read it all the time and whatever, and it's like, wow, and a manger scene, and it's great, and it's beautiful, and here it is. And like, no, the story of Christmas is one of disappointment and anxiety and horror. That's what it is. And today, obviously, the character we want to focus on is Joseph, who to me is the real hero of the Christmas story. And I think this man is an amazing man of God. Imagine his life with me for a second. Matthew 1 and verse 18 says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is such a disturbing set of events that transpired right there for so many different reasons. But let's just consider Joseph for a second. I had a friend of mine who was new to church Text me last week just saying, have you ever thought about Joseph? I mean, this dude, here he is in love with this girl, honoring God's plan, waiting till they're married to have sex, and then what? I mean, in their society, the traditional marriage process was pretty clear. You get engaged, and for nearly a year, you support this lady, sort of like a dowry. Financially, you support her, but you don't live together. You don't have sex till you're married. And Joseph has saved his whole life for this. He is likely much older, and he gives this huge gift. You know, he's ready to get married. And Joseph is a righteous man, scripture tells us. He's doing it the right way. But I would imagine, you know, because he is a righteous man, there are probably some people who are not as righteous. Some of his friends, scripture doesn't say this, but I'm guessing, made fun of him. You know, but he's gonna be wise. He's gonna do it God's way. He's gonna honor God's plan, waiting to have sex, waiting to live together until they're married. All the data today tells us that that is the best way to maximize future potential for your kids, for your marriage, for your life satisfaction. And because he loves God, and trusts God, he does it God's way. Joseph is a righteous man, scripture tells us. And I'd imagine some of his friends sort of resent him. And Joseph doesn't judge them. He's not sanctimonious or arrogant, but his friends judge him, which is dumb because Joseph is just doing Joseph. But as with secular society today, people don't like Christians. People are judgmental of and bigoted towards Christians. People can be mean. Oh, look at Joseph, all high and mighty, does everything right, must be nice. But then, but then people start to whisper, did you hear? Did you hear? Mary's pregnant. Ah! All high and mighty Joseph, they all see he's been lying. He's been lying. They have been sleeping together and he acted like he was doing, doing it the right way, but he hasn't been. Joseph's reputation, which is all he had in life. You know, he's just a carpenter, blue collar worker, a framer, union dude, but he's really respected union dude. All of a sudden his reputation is destroyed. Everyone thinks he is a liar. What's that icky part about us? Have you ever noticed there's that part about us that you look at somebody who does it just a little bit better and they have a fallen life and it's like, yes. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, you know? And everybody's like, I knew he was a fake. I knew it the whole time, you know? I always knew there was something more going on with him. Did you really? Did you really know that? Or did you just hope so that you could look down on him and feel better about yourself? What is that icky part about us? That icky part in me that wants that? But even more hurtful for Joseph is the fact that he knows he's not lying. He knows that he didn't sleep with her, which makes him think that she cheated on him. And of course, his heart is broken. Of course, he's upset. Can you imagine this happening? 
The Bible implies that they had a breakup conversation. How did that conversation go? You know, Mary's crying like, Joseph, I'm not lying. And Joseph is like, do you think I'm dumb? Stop. You know, just tell me who it is. And she's like, it was God. You know, God did it. And Joseph is like, really? Stop. And they're both crying and Joseph is just upset. Have you ever been so in love, so in love, so ready, so excited, you're in love with this person and they just drop you and you didn't see it coming and it just hurts and it's, oh, it's so painful. And that's Joseph. It says Joseph to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. quietly. He didn't want to hurt her. He didn't want to vindicate his name. He didn't want to get revenge. He didn't want to go on Jerry Springer and have the paternity test and be like, not the father. I told you, I told you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Mary, Mary, you know, and everybody's out there and you know, Mary's family's fighting and whatever. He didn't want to do it. He could have, but he didn't. He just said, Mary, let's part ways. I don't care what people think. Like we're just, we're done. This was a big deal for him. And their society, he has given this gift, this dowry to Mary. It means he could be single forever. He might not be, but he saved his whole life to provide for this girl and she's done. Imagine how he feels. Honoring God's plan. Giving his life savings to this lady. He is humiliated. He is brokenhearted. He feels betrayed. He thinks that she gold dug him. Matthew 1.20, there's four words at the start of this verse that are so insightful. As he considered this. The implication is it's a number of days, you know? And I imagine Joseph going to his shop, working on his Mustang or whatever, you know, listening to man angry music, Metallica, Hootie and the Blowfish, Pink Floyd. If he's really angsty and emotional, maybe even Coldplay. He's probably not that bad though. Coldplay's just, man, it makes me not want to be alive. It's so sad. All these music videos, you know, where she came out of the windshield and like that's, it's like, what happened? As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is how angels of the Lord sounded to me. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you're to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's, that's actually how they sound. That's how Gabriel sounded. Now, it sounds kind of cool that the angel appeared to him in a dream, but also not, like, lest we forget that Mary had a true live in-person visit from Gabriel. I mean, she was awake and saw him standing in her room. That's pretty sick. And classic sexism, Joseph doesn't even get a Zoom call. He gets a dream. It's like, guys, I've had some gnarly dreams before. You know, I took melatonin last night before. Melatonin will mess you up. Like last night, I woke up having bad church nightmares. You know, I woke up thinking, oh my goodness, everything's going horribly, you know, and the click track's off and everybody's, and it's, I can't do anything about it. Like that's what happened. I thought it was real. <gasps> Thank God it wasn't. Joseph is going to have to trust a dream for the rest of his life if he's going to do this. Imagine, he has two choices. Number one, he can trust a dream and have his reputation destroyed. Like everybody, like anybody's gonna believe Mary and Joseph's story. Oh, was it really the Holy Spirit? Okay, uh-huh, nice. Everybody's gonna think he slept with her before they were married, came up with this ridiculous story. He's that kind of guy. And for the rest of their life, 10 years now, when Jesus is 10, he's gonna sit there and go, was that dream real? That's what we do, isn't it? We have this supernatural experience and years later, we're like, but was it real? I don't, and he's just gonna have to, by faith, believe that his relationship with Mary isn't a sham. Or, he can drop her and blame her. And everybody is gonna be like, oh, Joseph, I can't believe Mary did you like that. You know, and he'll save again and maybe he'll find someone else. Maybe he won't. In verse 24, we see Joseph's choice. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded 
and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph chooses to trust, obey, and forgive. Not that God wronged Joseph, not that Mary wronged Joseph, but I'll bet there was some bitterness sometimes in life. There are things that just don't go well. And even though nobody did anything wrong, you're still gonna have to trust, obey, and forgive. And that's what Joseph had to do. Joseph doesn't get a lot of credit at Christmas, but he's my favorite character in the story. I mean, what a hero, you know? I mean, pregnancy's bad. Look, I've had some bad Charlie horses. I'm sure it hurts to deliver a baby. But for Joseph, (laughs) think of the burden that he carried. All the ladies are like, we're done. This guy is offensive. We're out of here, all right? Now, one thing that you would think is if, if God had Joseph raising his son, he'd be like, hey, Joseph, I'm gonna give you lots of opportunity here on earth, okay? You're raising my boy, all right? So I'm gonna give you, you know, you start a life insurance agency, you're gonna sell policies left and right. You will have the residuals coming in three months. You'll have a passive income forever, Joseph. You know, I'll give you sweetheart deals, huge contracts. Don't worry about it. All you do is is win, you know? You wanna buy lottery tickets, Joseph? I'm here for you. Mega millions, bam, you got it. You'd imagine that that's what God would do to help a brother out. But that's not how it worked at all. Joseph is broke, the birth story. There's no room for them in the end. Joseph didn't have the money to bribe his way into a room. It is the worst birth story possible. Some of you ladies are like, I had such a hard birth story, you know, it was, it was 72 hours of labor and then they had to induce and it was horrible and it was terrible and this and that and all these things. It's like jo- Mary and Joseph, they delivered in a, in a manure filled stable. They put the baby Jesus, the creator of the universe in an animal feeding trough. There is not a story that's worse. It's truly horrendous when you think about it. It's like, there's not a more humbling thing. It breaks my heart. You know, some of you say, well, the wise men, they came in gold, frankincense, and more. We're gonna talk more about them next week. But what we know is that that money, however much it was worth, was gone very quickly. Every time we see Jesus at the temple, the family offers the impoverished sacrifice. Instead of a large animal, they offer a dove or a pigeon, which was the offering for for poor people, for poor families. And then Joseph has another dream. It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, Joseph. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is gonna search for the child to kill him. And then two words, this is critical. Notice these details. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary's mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. Can you imagine? Joseph wakes up with a start one night. (gasps) Mary, Mary, pack up the Hyundai, we gotta go. Like, load everything, we're going. She's like, what do you mean? Can I sell some stuff on Facebook Marketplace? No, we gotta go now. They abandon most of their possessions, just the clothes on their back, the stuff they can fit in the accent, and they're gone. And moving is the worst. Like, I want you to really visualize this. Imagine, after church today, moving to Texas tonight. Tonight, like that's it. You're packing your stuff tonight. Just the stuff, you're leaving tonight. That night, they left. It's hard, traumatizing, leaving everybody. And then they get halfway to Texas or halfway to Egypt and they start getting text messages. They start getting DM'd. Herod came and he killed all the boys under two. They're gone, they're dead. How did you know? Imagine Jesus' class, they come back, you know? They come back and, you know, they wanna go back to the same town and it's all girls, 35 girls and one boy, one boy who lived. Imagine how the townspeople would treat them, remembering their sons. There would no doubt be resentment every time they came home. 
It's like Joseph did it the wrong way. Here he knocked up Mary, came up with this ridiculous story. He lied about it. I mean, everybody's gonna resent them. That's Joseph's life. That's his life. Verse 19, it says, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when they learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. It's a lot of moves. Count with me for a second. They moved from and to Bethlehem. They moved to and from Egypt. That's four moves right there. And then there may have been a fifth move around Nazareth. What was Joseph's prevailing set of emotions for his lifetime? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Instability. I mean, that's his life. That's just what he had to deal with. He's a refugee. He's moving all over the place, fearing for his life, constantly impoverished. And what's crazy is this man trusted God, trusted these dreams, honored God with his life, sacrificed his reputation, gave up everything. And what did he get? He got a problem child. Yes, Jesus, the son of God, is perfect. He was also nothing but problems. He was. All this trouble because of this boy. What do you do? Here, God, I trust you with my next things. You can have it all. Where are the best things? Is this what Joseph deserved? What happened to Joseph? We don't know when, but he dies sometime after Jesus' 12th birthday. He goes through all this. He never gets vindicated, and he dies, and he dies. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is portrayed as a widow throughout Jesus' ministry. And I just want you to imagine for a second with me, Joseph, towards the end of his life, been a tough life, you know, carrying the mantle of leadership. Some of you men, you know what it's like, you know, carrying the mantle of leadership. You got your wife and your kids looking at you scared and you're trying to project confidence to them and you wake up at night and they don't know that you're panicking. And then she's sitting there next to you in bed. She's asleep. You're worried that everything you work to build is gonna come crumbling down around you. You give God all this stuff and in return, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Joseph going to their equivalent of church, synagogue, sitting there listening to the pastor and he's sitting there in church one year. Cue the music, you know. All my life, You've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. That's the song Joseph hears. And here's this middle-aged man towards the end of his life before he dies. He's sitting here in tears of anger and hurt. God, where are you? And that's some of you here this Christmas. Here we are, week three, preparing our hearts for Christmas Eve. And all you have is rage. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with these people? Where are you? Obviously, you know, we know God's real. Something doesn't come from nothing. Intelligent design doesn't come from no intel intelligence. There is no religious narrative besides Christianity that corresponds with archaeology, geology, history, science. I mean, the Christian narrative is the one true narrative. Sure, God's real, but is he good? Is he faithful? Was he faithful to Joseph? Some of you are wondering, where is he? As we sing this song. Years ago, my brother got my kids an inflatable kiddie pool for some thing. I, I forget what it was, but he got it for him. And it was a, a rectangle, a little bit bigger than a normal kiddie pool. And I filled it up, put it in the backyard, and it was very cold when the water came out of the hose. So I left it for a few days saying, oh, the sun's going to warm this up. And I came back out there and uh, it was full of leaves and nasty and bugs and gross, gross, yucky, yuckies, according to my kids. That was their description, not mine. And uh, one morning, Kristen and I were packing up to take my kids to the lake, which is awesome. Who doesn't love the lake? And my kids came to me and they said, Daddy, we want you 
to clean out the pool because it's full of leaves and yucky and gross, gross. And I thought, kids, you're being kind of silly and short-sighted. I'm literally packing to take you to the lake. And they were like, daddy, we've been so good. We've been so good. Why won't you clean out the kiddie pool for us? Listen, I was not worried about a kiddie pool full of leaves and my short-sighted children because I was worried about preparing them for and taking them to the day of their dreams at the lake. Hello, I have a 1993 Malibu Echelon, inboard, direct drive, open bow, American Water Ski Association, tournament certified, record setting ski boat. You are gonna get to live the day of your dreams at the lake. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind can conceive what John has prepared for his kids. What is wrong with you? But they couldn't, they were so focused on that kiddie pool. You know, I think this is how God is. We sit here all upset about the kiddie pool of our life. Sometimes our life gets full of icky, icky, yucky, yucky, gross, gross. You look at it and you're like, God, why would you, why would you do this? The pool of our life is no fun to be in. It's not any fun to be in. That's what happened to the kiddie pool of Joseph's life. It was bad, I'm not gonna lie, there's no way to put it other than that. And you know, rightfully so, sometimes we complain to God, God, I've been so good. Why won't you give me that life? Why won't you give me this? Why won't you clean up my life? Where are the best things? God who loves us so perfectly is not worried about the kiddie pool of our life full of leaves. You know why? Because he is preparing a place for us that is better than we could ask for or imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. And we know that when we trust him, with the next things. He will lead us to the best things, but sometimes not the way that we think. Sometimes, often, especially for Joseph in the kiddie pool of his life. And often we cry and complain. How could you, God? Why would you? I want you to hear this. It's big for the Josephs who are hearing my voice today. God keeps his promises, all of them. And he has something much better than the kiddie pool of this life, better than a marriage, better than healthy children, better than wealth or health or fame. God has something better than everything in this life prepared for us. And it's not better because everyone we've lost will be in heaven. Heaven isn't heaven because you'll get to see all your friends and family again. Heaven is heaven because Jesus will be there because you will look full in his wonderful face. And what does the old song say? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's heaven. You will see the face of God. Christmas is not about the things of this life being great. Jesus never promised that. He didn't promise to make this life feel good. Sometimes we get the life that we imagined. Sometimes he does bless us. His wisdom often does lead to a better life, but sometimes it doesn't. The best of this life, the best of this life is like a kiddie pool compared to the lake or ocean of heaven. And the reason we celebrate Christmas, the beautiful part about Christmas is Jesus builds a bridge between this life and the next. That's God's promise. That's why we sing joy to the world. That's why it's the most wonderful time of the year. It means that rich, poor, young, old, fortunate, unfortunate, all can go to heaven through this baby Jesus and what he will do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. All our lives, God has been faithful. 
and all our lives, God has been so, so good by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's Christmas. And when things are bad, we don't set our hope in our names being vindicated. And we don't set our hope in our 401ks being restored. And listen, I want you to hear this. I have everything I've ever wanted in this life. I have a clean kiddie pool. I mean, I do. I have a good life and it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't feel much better than when the kiddie pool was full of sticks and leaves and icky, yucky, yucky, gross, gross. My heart still wonders, is this all there is? Because God didn't make us for life on earth. He made us for eternal things and our hearts yearn for it. And one day he will make all things new and he keeps his promises. And I know that heaven will make the kiddie pool of this life, the best kiddie pool of this life, look silly. I look back at Hebron. Obviously God has blessed it. I mean, to those of you who gave, that is a thriving church that is transforming that community up there. I believe with all my heart that God did call us to it. But even if he hadn't, in the heart of the pandemic, when I thought that he hadn't, in the heart of the pandemic where I wondered where God was and I trusted God with my next things and I was in between the next things and the best things, I knew that God was still good. And I knew that even if it didn't happen in my lifetime, my God is preparing a place for me. And next time I am in between the next things and the best things, I will still trust him. And I just know this message isn't for all of us, but there are some Josephs hearing my voice today. You're waiting on God. And look, I know the pain is real. I know some of you have lost a job. Some of you have lost your freedom. You're incarcerated. Some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you might even be going through the pain of losing a child. Maybe a kid is wayward. Maybe a heart is broken. Maybe a marriage is falling apart. Maybe a family is broken. But I want you to know that God didn't forget Joseph and he will never forget you. Joseph, he gave up his next things for God. And he did get the very best things. We know his story. We all know his story. He changed the world, his legacy, because of his faithfulness. But that's not the best thing that Joseph got. The best thing that Joseph got is he is in heaven with Jesus, his stepson, looking at the wonderful face of God. He got the best things because he didn't give up in between. And to our Joseph's here, don't give up. Don't give up in between the next thing and the best thing. Don't stop trusting God. Don't stop seeking God. God is faithful. God keeps his promises and God isn't done. Even in disaster, God's not done. Even in divorce, God's not done. Even in death itself, God's not done. So don't give up in between the next thing and the best thing because God won't give up on you. He is faithful. He's always faithful. At all of our locations, at Hebron Online, at the jail, at Demont Wheatfield, I want us to stand to our feet for a minute. We're gonna sing this song, All My Life You've Been Faithful. And I don't want it just to be some Christian karaoke. I don't want us to just look at the band and watch them lead us from our hearts. I want us to declare this simple, transcendent truth in our life. God is faithful always, all the time. God is good all the time. Not because our life right now is good, 
but because he is preparing a place for us. And I want us to cling to it, to trust it. As we get ready for Christmas Eve, I want it to be the best Christmas Eve of our life as we rejoice, joy to the world, for the Lord has come. Pray with me, God in heaven. We rejoice because you are good. Today we cling to your promises. We set our hope on you, Jesus, you alone. God, we give you our next things. And no matter what happens in this life, we trust that you are leading us to the best things and that you're good. God, I thank you for the heroes of our faith like Joseph, who with steadfast, unwavering faithfulness gave us a legacy of faith because he didn't give up. And God, today we choose to walk in Joseph's footsteps in the matchless, unrivaled, unparalleled name of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things. God's people said, amen.